the vision series. You might remember I started this a few weeks ago and uh, got up and I talked about vision and what it is to have vision in our lives and said, we're going to do a six-week series on this. I was really, really excited. I got off the platform. Sue said, next week's Mother's Day. I thought, well, I can't shift Mother's Day. And then she said, and the week after that, it's Pastor John Hunt. I said, well, I can't cancel a guest. She said, the week after that, Levi's on, um, he's on AM. That was this weekend. But I did find another place for Levi. So <laughs> thanks, mate, for being so gracious. So gracious. But I started this, this series on vision uh, very, very intentionally, just having this sense that uh, we really need to, you know, make sure that we are moving with vision in life. Vision, when you have a, a, a vision, and by vision I mean a, a clear mental image of a preferred tomorrow. In whatever area of your life, you have this mental image of how things should be. It might not be how they are, but how they should be. That is something that actually propels us forward in life. It's the, it's the kind of, it creates the kind of momentum in your life. When you have something to live for that's pulling you into your tomorrow, that makes you leap out of bed, ready to put your boots on and go to work and see what can happen through your life. Uh, so I began to introduce that concept and I really want to unpack it over several weeks and try and put some real nuts and bolts to it, make it practical because sometimes we talk about vision, it can just seem to be something that someone else should have or that someone else has done, they've got a great vision for this but I want to say that vision is innate in all human beings. We are created in the image of a creative God and if you think about it, everything that we see in all of creation it did not begin with, uh, it didn't even begin with, uh, with matter, it began in the mind of God. At some point, everything that is, uh, that is real and tangible in our world was actually just an imagination and then it was created. So we all have this innate ability. Uh, you just look at it, children have this innate ability. Any kid who loves playing with Lego... I know what it was like as a kid, you know, one of my friends had a big box of Lego and uh, we'd just tip it out on the lounge room floor and I, before I'd even started building, I could see jet planes, I could see cars, I could see forts, I could see all kinds of things before I'd put two blocks together. That's vision. Uh, for parents, you've seen your kids move in vision, frustratingly sometimes, for any parent who's ever sort of gone, we're not going to get our kids plastic guns has been frustrated to turn around and see that they've picked up a stick and in their imagination, they have got the latest, coolest gun with all the bits on it. All you can see is a bent stick, but in their mind, they're living the dream. Come on, any parent that's been frustrated by that? Because we move with that sense of vision. It is innate in humanity. If you look at this whole building... Everything that we see, just as we sit this end of the building, well, I mean, this didn't exist. It, uh, it, the factory ended sort of over there, just on the first tier of seats. But we walked into this building, saw a big blank space and the car park, whatnot, and I went with one of the board and we sat down, at, I think, at a McDonald's and had a coffee, talked about the potential of the building. He drew on a napkin what we could do, which is pretty well. We took it to a designer... And the designer said, that's an excellent use of space. All he did was make, put dimensions on it. So all of this came from walking around a big empty factory, 
and then going back thinking, chatting about how we'd like the church to sort of function and operate and someone writing on a napkin and we're sitting in it. It began in someone's mind. And we all, you might not be skilled with that kind of thing, but we all have the potential to vision. You might be a school teacher here and you you know what I'm saying because you've got a vision for that classroom of kids. You know what you want the culture to be like. You You know what you want those kids to experience. You might be a health professional today where you're thinking, I know what I want people to experience when they they come into my world and my scope of influence. Right now, if you're married, you should have a vision for how your marriage is going to unfold, how you treat one another, the culture, the environment that you create, how your kids are going to interact. All of those things are things that are birthed out of our heart. It's amazing how it pulls us forward into our future. But here's the difficult point. When you get vision, when you get a picture of a preferred tomorrow, it then begins, it begs the question, what do I do with that? I mean, it's one thing to have a clear mental image. It's another thing to bring it to reality. And so over the next weeks, we're going to look at some practical ways and we're going to take our cues from, uh, we're going to start with Abraham today. And I mentioned him last week in passing, but I want to drill down on Abraham. It might take us a few weeks to do it. Uh, he begins, this guy, he begins, he's the patriarch, of course, of, of, of Israel. And um, he begins as a guy called Abram who uh, left a place called Ur of the Chaldees with his father and the family. And, uh, and the reason I want to look at Abraham is because we understand him as New Testament believers. The New Testament tells us that he is like our spiritual daddy. He is the father of all who believe. And, and he's, he is noted as being someone who moved with tremendous faith. That's why I want to look at Abraham. Because if you begin to move towards vision that God puts in your heart, it's going to take faith. That's what you see in Abraham's journey. That it didn't just fall into his lap. It wasn't just some simple thing. But vision is always something that's bigger than you. And often, as it's being fulfilled, you realize that this is so much bigger than what I even saw. I had a vision for this, but all of a sudden, as I get closer, it's much bigger. God's doing more than I even thought. And so you need faith for that. And Abraham is a great place to go. So I want to talk to us today very, very simply about acting on your dreams. So when I talk vision, I am talking dreams, like this internal dreaming ability that we have. And I tell you what, it's important that God captures that because whoever captures your imagination captures you. That's the power of media. That's the power of advertising. Do you realize that our world has a vision for our lives? It has a, and, and without being too skeptical, you know, a great part of our world has a vision to tap us for every cent we've got. Any, by any means possible. And whoever has got your imagination has got you. That's why it's so important that we allow God to harness this capacity that we have for vision and dream. And in scripture, that whole thought of vision or dream, it's interchangeable when the source is God. This sense of a dream of a preferred tomorrow, a clear mental image, a vision of tomorrow. So we're going to look at Abraham. We're going to look at acting on your dreams. Here's the first thought. Here's a, and, and it's going to be intensely practical. Begin to move. 
begin to move. You know, my, uh, my first pastor, his wife once, when I was talking to her about feeling like I needed to study scripture and potentially Bible college and different things, and, and I wasn't sure what to do, and she gave me this brilliant advice. She said, well, Chris, God can't steer a stationary vessel a stationary ship. You need to set sail. And even if you set sail in the wrong direction, if you keep your heart soft and open, then God's well able to turn it around and get you going in the right direction. But the one thing you've got to do is move. You've got to do something to get this baby on the roll. Cool? And so moving towards a preferred tomorrow is the first step. And we're going to look at Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord had said... I want us just to note the past tense of that. To Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land I'll show you, and I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. Your name will be great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, what I find interesting, it says he had he had said, God had said to him. What's interesting is if you go back to the previous chapter, that actually Abraham, Abram's father, Terah, had actually set out on the same journey that God called Abraham to. Terah had left Ur of the Chaldees to head to Canaan. He was going to the exact same place. But it also says that while he was in Ur of the Chaldees, he lost one of his sons. And instead of getting to Canaan, Terah left and he actually stopped in a place uh, uh, called Haran. Thank you. So his son, Haran, died. And then Haran, double R, is the place where he settled. And Haran means to sit. And it's this whole sense of he got out of Era of the Chaldees, maybe not from a call of God, but to just get away. And he lands in this place where he just sits. And obviously, you know, potentially he's discouraged. Potentially he's mourning his son. Now, just a little bit of quick, this is a bit of a quick aside. Is it okay if we do a quick aside? Um, Interestingly, like the the world in that day, that ancient world, and particularly in Mesopotamia, which is where Ur of the Chaldees was, child sacrifice to please the gods was a very, very common thing. It doesn't tell us how Haran died. It doesn't tell us how he died, but what the original language says is that he died before his father. Now, that could mean that while his father was still alive. It might have more, more deeper and darker connotations that potentially, and again, I'm just joining dots here, so this is not, this is not doctrine, this is an observation, that potentially Abraham's fa- or Abram's father left because of the pain of having sacrificed his own son. And I only say that because, of course, child sacrifice comes up a little bit later in Abraham's life, in his son's life. And so uh, I just want you to hold that, hold that thought. So now we've got uh, Terah, Abram's dad. He's moved out to head to Canaan, but he's stopped. And he's in a place of sitting or potentially a place of grief. And then God says to Abram, 
you need to get out and keep going. You need to, in a sense, finish the mission. And I guess here's the thought. We all have losses. We all have pain. We all have griefs. But sitting in our grief, there is no answer there. There's no solution there. There's no vision there. There is no future there. I know when I talk about vision, I'm talking to many people who've been disappointed in the past by things that they thought would happen and they didn't. That's why the first week I preached, the the message was dare to dream again. Dare to dream again. Because as real as grief might be, as necessary as grief of loss might be, it might not be a child, it might be a job, it might be a ministry opportunity, whatever it might be, a relationship, whatever it might be, you need to grieve it. That's what human beings need to do to become healthy again. But then you need to get up and get on with a heavenly vision that pulls you forward into life. Because as we looked at the first week, we looked at a proverb that says, without vision, people perish. It can be put this way, without vision, people simply fade away. Without a sense of a preferred tomorrow that's pulling you into your your next day, you don't leap out of bed. You just crawl out of bed and wonder what's going to happen to you today. Rather than you jumping out of bed thinking, what can I make happen to life today? We have to live with a sense of vision. So God speaks to Abram, says, get out, get going, keep going, fulfill the mission, and, um, and basically teaches us that what was won't always get you to where you need to be. What was your past is not going to necessarily get you to your future. And this sounds great because it sounds like he had clear direction, right? God says, get out and go. But if we look at the New Testament, it's, it's got a really interesting insight on this very passage. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 11, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Not knowing. He left everything he knew not knowing. And the fact is, vision will always call you. If, 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 if you're moving towards something that's known, it's not vision, it's reality. So vision always calls you to a place where you don't know where you're going. And personally, I hate that. Sue loves that. I hate that. I mean, if we're going to go into a city, we're, we're in a city for a conference or something, and we might have a hire car, and Sue's just like, well, there's the harbour bridge on our left. If I just sort of go left, one of these streets should take us there. You know, I'm the kind of guy, I, I load up maps the night before, and I read all the directions. And then I plug it in and it speaks to me. I turn my headlights on. I turn laser beams on. I turn anything I can just to try and get to where I need to be. And Sue takes a left turn spontaneously and I'm freaking out. And then she says something like, as long as we don't hit a one-way street that's going the right way, we should be okay. (laughs) Abram went out not knowing where he was going, that's the faith of it. Vision will always cost you faith. Faith is the currency of moving towards vision. So it's one thing to say, get a picture of a preferred tomorrow. Are you prepared to move in faith? So get moving is one of the keys. You'll be, you'll be doing something different than you've ever done before because you have to head towards the unknown. It's that simple. That's what vision is. And I love this because he's only given general direction. He's given some direction. It's like leave here and go there. Canaan's that way. Who'd like to do a holiday day like that? Like just, you know, it's not what it's cracked up to be. We did a bit of it in Italy. 
but Italy is a different sort of a place. But, you know, it's like, just get up and go, and I'll tell you when you get there. And often that's what is vision. So we need to get moving. But here's the freedom. Because it was a general direction, then you don't have to be too particular. Here's a little key. People bog down because they start trying to work out all the finite details. Hey, that's not a vision. That's a strategic plan. And a strategic plan is a good thing, but a a vision is a picture. It's more like artwork. So just get the picture first and then work on the details. So many people bog down and try to get specific, and so it just stops their vision right there while they try and work out how to do it. I want to encourage you, let God use your imagination to paint a brilliant, vibrant picture of a preferred tomorrow for whatever area of your life needs addressing and then move toward it. Here's the second thought. You doing okay? Love your vision dearly. Whoops, I've skipped a point. Do your best to keep God central. As we move towards it, hey, listen, as I said before, our world's got a vision. There's plenty of vision out there. They, the world wants to paint on our imagination every opportunity it can get. So it's important that we actually move towards something that's got a spirit-breathed element to it, that, that God wants us to move towards. It's okay to have our own personal sort of little visions for things, but they're often the ones that disappoint the most. It's so important to keep vision anchored on God. And look at this in the life of Abraham in Genesis chapter uh, 12. This is the one solid thing that Abraham tied his vision to. And it's a pattern in his life. So I want to read a couple of scriptures just to form that pattern. Genesis 12, it says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And he called on the name of the Lord. So Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south. Now just really quickly, this whole concept of altar is the concept of intimacy. He was claiming a sacred space where he could meet with God all along his journey. And everywhere that Abraham went, where he made a significant shift, even when he had to backtrack his steps, he always stopped and he either built an altar or he restored an altar and he continued to worship. So you see this pattern in Abraham's life that he was determined to keep God right at the center in the same way that we need to keep Jesus right at the center of everything that we do. So what, one thing I want to note, though, is um, that... Uh, just let me get one more scripture, one more. Genesis 13, it says, Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him in the south, and Abraham was very, uh, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. It doesn't seem like he started out that way, but if you read in, into the whole story, as he went, God added to him, added to him, added to him, blessed him. And so here we have him at a later point in his life. He's really prosperous. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place I read about just before, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. So he, he, like, uh, he built and he maintained this sacred space in his life to make sure that the vision and the dream that he had wasn't some unhinged daydream 
wasn't some sort of just cooked up scheme that he had to get ahead. He continuously circled back to anchor his dream and his heart on the presence of God. And I want to encourage us and challenge us right now. You know, we've just been through a weird shake-up season and it shook up our whole world and it shook up church life. I just want to ask you the question, have you maintained that place of an altar in your own life, that, that place of intimacy in your own life? You know, are you still journaling? Are you still in a life group? Do you need to get back to that? You know, when it comes to prayer, are you still praying? Are you still seeking God? I I think people often give up on prayer because they pray lots and see little. Go to a life group and you'll learn how to pray a little and see lots. (laughs) Just a few people gathering, praying, agreeing and seeing God do amazing things. Maybe we need to get back to, some of us may need to get back to that sacred space that we've claimed that keeps our heart on track, that keeps our vision clearly focused on what God wants and not just the machinations of our own heart. Does that make sense? Okay, so that was him. The other thing I want to note with Abraham here is that the altars that he built weren't anything extravagant. This isn't like the altar in the temple overlaid with gold. This is rocks piled on a mountain side. This is a pile of rocks in the corner of a paddock. And and that's why I say do your best to keep God central. Because we can get all super intense about keeping God central. And it's a very important thing. But sometimes we can go, well, I'm not much of a prayer. I'm not much of a worshipper. I don't get a lot out of my Bible. I mean, I don't think that I'm like a performer when it comes to spiritual things. That's okay. Abraham just piled old rocks on top of each other. The key was he was determined to keep God at the center of it. And excellence is not perfection. Excellence is doing the best you can with what you have. So I want to encourage encourage you whatever you've got whatever God's put in your hand just make sure you keep it committed to him whatever dream you have in your heart keep it committed to him if you don't have a dream in your heart I'm believing through the length of this series that none of us are going to get out the other side without some sense of vision in our hearts but one of the keys is do your best do your best to keep God central in all of that okay last thought how you doing? You doing all right? Last thought is love your vision dearly, but hold it loosely. Love your vision dearly, but hold it loosely. Abraham had been given this vision of, um, you know, you're, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be, this is where God actually changed Abraham's name a little bit before this, just before he actually had a son in his old age. God had promised him, you're you're going to have descendants like the stars in the sky. But Abraham's an old guy with an old wife and they're childless. They've never been able to have kids. And God promises, not only will you have kids, but you'll have a land that's all your own. And Abraham's journeyed with God and been through lots of faith up and downs, which we're going to look at. One of the things I love about Abraham, as much as he's a spiritual giant, he's not perfect. He makes some really big mistakes that we'll all see in our own lives as we look at them. We'll all go, oh yeah, I've done that. I can't judge Abraham for that. So as much as he's a spiritual giant, he's also a very real human being who's just trying to walk with God. And he gets to this point in his life where God changes his name. He's Abram which basically means exalted or highly lifted up father, 
which was ironic to have a name like that when he wasn't able to have kids. And then God changes his name to father of multitudes. And, and Abraham, and you read the story, we might get to it in a later week, but you know, Abraham sort of feels like God is mocking him by calling him that when he doesn't even have a kid. But then all of a sudden, boom, it all happens and they have a child and his name is Isaac. And Abraham knows this is the potential to fulfill the vision. Here is my heir. And if I get to that land, even if it's just one family, at least I know I'll have descendants. And so it's all started for Abraham. He's got this miraculous child who's probably grown to young adulthood, most scholars believe, by this point. And in Genesis 22, remember we're talking about hold, love your vision dearly, hold it loosely. Genesis chapter 22, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. And incredibly, it says early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. This is the air. This is the vision. And he is prepared to sacrifice it. Verse 9 through 13 says, When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, Abraham says, Here I am. He replied, Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up there and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns and he went over, took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. This seems to me to be an awful cruel way to get your attention. If you don't think this is weird, you're not human. You're definitely not living in this century for God to say, kill your kid. But I do want to return to the earlier story because I do wonder why Terah, Abraham's father, had left Ur of the Chaldees and sat in grief in this place called Haran. I do wonder whether it might have had something to do. I do wonder whether Abraham had actually been at this place before. He'd seen it before. He'd been there before. He'd seen it happen with his own brother, potentially. And now God's calling him to do it because this is what every God they'd ever understood had required of you when it came to being fully committed. And what's amazing about this story, because it seems so unreasonable that God would require it of Abraham, but what's so amazing about this story, there's Abraham's submission and willingness to surrender all and to lay the vision down. And then there's this incredible revelation that that's not the God who I am, that God is kinder than you think. That God doesn't want 
your kid, Abraham. You got, I got you out of Ur of Chaldees for a reason. I'm going to start a whole new family and a whole new way of thinking about me. And so Abraham finds himself in this moment where he must have been holding his breath, biting his lip, and then God comes through and provides. And the story goes on to say that's, that's literally where he, he names that place um, Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord who sees. He's seen my need on this mountain. And uh, it's an incredible story. But I wonder for us how often we could miss it when we refuse to lay down some of the dreams that we might have. We're determined to hold on to stuff. We're determined to make stuff work, sometimes in our own strength. If we don't build an altar, if we don't check our hearts, we can end off in left field saying, well, I launched out on this vision that God gave me and now it doesn't look like anything like what I thought it would. And I think sometimes God is saying, that's because the last time I spoke to you, we were over here. I don't know how you got over there. Maybe you let the altars break down. And there's always going to be this point of surrender where we have to surrender and just trust God. That God, if this is going to fulfill, be fulfilled, it's going to be you and you're going to have to provide. That's why I love this word provision. It says, you know, the, the Lord my provider. And, um, and basically, what, what's provision mean in English? If you break the word down, pro-vision, for the vision. You see, Abraham... Uh, accumulating wealth as he moves towards his vision. What stops so many of us with moving into vision is resource. We just look at it and go, it's impossible. But hey, I want to tell you today, if you get a God birth dream, as you move towards it, the provision will come on the way. That's, that's how God provides by faith. We just, we move, our job is to move towards it. Our job is to keep God central. Our job is to, to love the vision like a child, but not hold it so tightly that we wouldn't give it back to God. And and I've seen this happen, you know, I've had it happen in my own life where God does something in your world and and you're living the life that you never could have unless Jesus had gotten involved. I know that's the case for me and my wife and could never have lived this life, but if you're not careful, you begin to love the life that you're given more than the life giver himself. You become enamoured with the fruit of the vision or the fruit of moving in divine purpose. You become enamoured with that. And if we're not careful, it's a new form of idol worship. We, we begin worshipping the gift rather than the giver of the gifts. And so that's why there's this need for surrender. So how, how do you move? How do you act on vision? Well, you've got to start moving. Even if you're heading in the wrong direction, you've just got to start moving. Try and get it right. It's much simpler that way. But just move. Move in some way. Determine. Determine to keep God at the centre of it, to keep it committed to, to Jesus. And then don't be so precious about it that you can't lay it down and surrender it and commit it back to God. Because when, when you do that, this is where Abraham's life really took off. He'd been going in circles, learning how to walk with God. But at this point of surrender, that's when it all broke loose and it all began to happen for him. It was at that point. That's why I did the surrender series. There is incredible intimacy and power every time we come to a point of surrender in our lives. Does that make sense? I just want to read us one more verse, and it's from the New Testament. I read it the first week, but I just want to land there today. And it's, um, it's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship. I want us to listen to these words. 
It's a very simple sentence. It says so much. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And and, and this whole verse, it's talking about being born again, being a new creation through the power of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Faith in him makes you a new person. And, And then Paul says very clearly, and God knows exactly what to do with you. Even before we accepted Christ, God had a plan. You might be here today and maybe you're not at that point of faith yet. Oh, can I just tell you, God's got a blueprint for your life. And this is what heavenly vision and moving in faith and keeping Jesus central, that's what all this is about. It's about discovering what good works we were created to do. It's about finally moving uh, in divine purpose, but also in our human original created purpose. What has God got for me to do that will reflect his goodness to all of creation? It might be something that only I can do, or it might be something that a certain group of people, this is what they do. They just reflect God's glory by doing what they do. And that ultimately is the purpose of vision in our heart and vision that's led by the Spirit is that we begin to grasp, we begin to see this is what I was created created for, not just created you know, in a human sense, but this is what God has put on my life since I've known him, surrendered to him. This is what the power of the Holy Spirit is on me to do, yeah. to build a great home and a great family. That could be it. To have that class of kids that just experience love and culture like they don't get at home sometimes. To have a marriage that's a witness to others. That's actually a beacon in a society where so much of that's falling apart. That's actually a beacon of hope that says, you know what? You can be happy. You can have it last for a long time. They're all aspects of just reflecting the good works that we were created for. So I want to encourage us. Let's be, let's be dreamers. Let's be vision seekers. Let's keep Jesus central. Let's begin to move toward whatever we perceive God is wanting us to move towards. Begin moving toward it in faith, keeping Jesus at the center, keeping it surrendered, loving it dearly. Hey, man, this is precious. God gave it to me, but I'll always realize it was God given and I need to be prepared to surrender it and give it back at any point on the journey. And I think we won't go far wrong. We won't end up stuck in dead alleys of our own imaginations and our own self-centeredness that actually leads us through life into a broad place. Can we stand together? Really quickly, a couple of questions. Do you have a dream to act on? I'm believing by the end of the series, none of us will walk out of here without being able to say, you know what, I've seen something. It might only be little, but I've seen something. And it makes my heart race. I'm believing God for this. If you have, if you have already got a dream and a sense of vision, are you headed in the general direction of it? Just like Abraham just set out, Abram set out for Canaan, somewhere down south. Are you headed in the general direction? Or has this sort of word been a little bit of an adjustment or a, a reminder to get back to what you know? 
to get back to, you, to what you really have perceived for a long time God has for you? Is Jesus central to the vision? Is it submitted to the purposes of God? In other words, is, is this something that you really believe has the Holy Spirit on it and it's, it's godly and God-inspired and it's pulling you into your future in a way that's going to glorify God? That's the key. They're just questions because honestly, if we keep it there, we won't go far wrong. I'm convinced of that. We just won't go far wrong. When we get caught up in our own imaginations, trouble ahead. But, you know, when we move in in that sense of being led by the Spirit, there will be tough times, there will be contradictory times, there'll be all kinds of stuff. But ultimately, God tends to have his way through that in our lives. And you end up in a broad place just like Abraham did. So could I pray for us this morning? Father, I thank you. Hey, listen, if you, if you just are believing for release of vision, fresh vision, fresh dream, just raise a hand to heaven and I want to pray for us today. So if that's you, just raise a hand up. Father, I just thank you right now for seeding this place, just, just like a farmer, but just seeding our hearts with a, a sense of purpose and a sense of vision for those who already have that and are moving in that. I just pray for clarity and I pray for empowerment and I pray that you would water those seeds of vision and faith. Father, for those of us that are seeking you for something, maybe something for the first time or something afresh, then I just pray, Father, begin to speak to our hearts over the coming weeks. Let things come into clear focus. Let us walk away with a clear mental image of a preferred tomorrow that will make a difference to the planet in Jesus name.